If you don't know, you're about to know right now. You're about to learn. Education. I'm Quindell Evans, bluepoettree.com. Blue is the color of dream. Poets, the orator inscribed. Trees are what keeps us alive. Put those three words together, bluepoettree.com. You feel me, them? Right now, we're reading Abundance Now by Lisa Nichols. And the subtitle for this book is called Amplify Your Life and Achieve Prosperity Today. So, we're beginning chapter four. Last time you heard me read from this book, I was reading from chapter three. And I finished off chapter three, um, but I didn't read the entire chapter three on the podcast. The mic had died, but whatever. Um, So, the fourth chapter is called the third E, which stands for engagement. Engagement in your work. For more than just financial award. Let's go. Alright, so. Chapter 4, the third E. Engagement in your work for more than financial award. Success is not defined by your bank account. Account balance. Your career life. Your career title or your impressive possessions. Success is defined by how deep you love and are loved. How freely you give and receive from others. And how continuously you live in passion. In your passion. That is the new definition of success by Lisa Nichols. If you ever worked the whole day through being well paid to immerse yourself in something fun and exciting, where the day flew by and come the next morning you wanted to get up and do it all over again, that was a day when you were in your right livelihood. With our work consuming at least eight hours a day, if not ten or more, getting this part of our getting this part of our abundant life right is critical. But more than that, because our work defines us, contributes to our identity and figures prominently in the social circle and professional relationships we choose, I want to help ensure that you are enthusiastically engaged in a life assignment that's been prepared for you through the divine plan. You have a life assignment that commands your time, talent, and treasure. Our life happens in stages or seasons. This is especially true of our working years as we move from early jobs to professional advancement to possibly owning a business to working to build our legacy. At each stage, we're called I believe by God's divine plan to move with high grace and ease into our next life assignment. How can we know what our life assignment is at each stage? You have to listen to your intuitive self. Your intuitive self is that pull in your belly that draws you toward a specific passion, such as working with children, educating others, advocating for the environment, or helping seniors. It may pull you toward music, or travel, art, or writing. It may beckon you toward inventing new technologies, developing new developing a new part of your business, or stepping into management at your workplace. It might call you to start a family, volunteer at a charity, or become active in your church's mission projects. Whatever it is, whether career-related or something outside of your professional life, your life assignment is something you naturally feel in your soul, like a magnet. It will continue to draw you toward it, whether you respond or not. Of course, you may intellectually justify why you can't pursue it, or you may talk yourself out of it because you're fearful of what the assignment might entail. But you will feel the pull anyway, and your soul can't help but respond, whether or not your mind and body agrees. Your life assignment may not be related to your job or business. Lots of books tell us that we should strive to turn our hobby or passion into our career or business so we can live our joy every day. This has always struck me as unsound advice because... Most of the time, it's the very fact that we don't have daily tasks, deadlines, and deliverables or the need to make money from our hobby or passion that makes it so enjoyable. You don't have to pursue your passion as a business or career. In fact, it may be that your job or business would not include your passion or calling at all. 
Instead, your life assignment may be a labor of love you give to the world, to your family, to your local community, or to a specific group of like-minded people. Making your hobby or passion and pursuit a simple outlet simplifies things tremendously. This kind of life assignment, based on your passion, allows you to pursue, if you wish, a less than exciting career that becomes merely the steady, solid financial support you need. I think many people make the mistake of believing that. If their business is technical, traditional, or dull, if it's not tied to a huge social cause or visible on the world stage, their work is somehow stifling them from pursuing their life calling. But that's not true at all. Remember that your job or your business could be the major investor in your amazing future. It could provide the financial means for you to pursue your true life's work and give you the freedom to pursue your calling without stress or regret. If your assignment requires traveling to third world countries to work with women and children, great. Accumulate your vacation time and take three weeks off letting your job finance the work that you plan to do. Though we live in an either or world, I want to invite you to consider the end possibility. Working at a job that serves the needs of your family, your lifestyle, your employer, and you, while giving you the opportunity to live your life assignment is a mature and responsible thing to do. Excuse me while I drink a sip of water. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. What does a breathtaking life assignment look like? One of the reasons I can speak with such conviction on this subject is that I've been privileged to live my life's assignments for more than 20 years. When I first started out in the early 1990s, I had a pull of my belly to work with teenagers. I wanted to inspire them as someone who had come through tumultuous teen years myself. While I had an amazing family, I still experienced all the self-doubt, the self-criticism, and the suicidal thoughts that are not uncommon with teens. An addiction to a tough life lived raw in South Central Los Angeles. As a result of surviving some very dark years of my own, I believed I could have... I could have an impact on the lives of young adults in need of guidance. When I first recognized my calling, I did things, little things, that allowed me to lean into it and test the waters. I volunteered at teen centers and that felt good. I expanded my reach to serve at local high schools, mentor athletic teams, and work with, faith, with faith-based youth programs. And still, the pull was there. Eventually, I found motivating the teen spirit and began to hold my own events, developing a curriculum, recruiting corporate sponsors, and implementing my team programs in schools and the juvenile justice system. It was so fulfilling. In fact, I worked exclusively with teens for 10 years and lived passionately inside that assignment. In fact, I could have done that for the next 40 years and it would have been enough. Teaching teens how to put words to their feelings, teaching them how to fall madly in love with themselves, teaching them how to make integrity-based decisions, set healthy boundaries, and apologize when necessary. Those were some of the most fulfilling years of my life, and that division of my company is still fulfilling to me today. Since I founded those early programs, more than 211,000 teens have been graduated from my programs, more than 2,500 dropouts have been inspired to return to school, and more than 3,800 teen suicides have been prevented. Plus, we've reunited thousands of teens with their families. As I grew that business and began to speak on behalf of teens, I started to be invited to speak at adult events. My name began to float around in circles when where others wanted to do business with me. At the time, I was a teen lady, a label I was absolutely fine with carrying. Some fairly influential people in the self-development world were inspired by my work and introduced me to Jack Canfield, the originator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, and now a good friend of mine. Excuse me one more again while I drink some more water. Jack Canfield 
Thank you. Jack Canfield wanted me to co-author Chicken Soup for the African-American show with him. And I'm embarrassed to admit that my negative self-talk and mindset had caused me to decline the invitation five times before I finally accepted this calling. What was I so afraid of? I was fearful that they found out I wasn't strong in grammar and that there was a reason I failed my freshman English class in college. Lo and behold, when Jack read my stories, he said they were some of the most powerful he had ever read. It was in that moment that I had to accept that someone else's perception of me, that of my college English teacher, was not my reality, unless I allowed it to be. Once Chicken Soup for the African American Soul was released in bookstores, I went on a very aggressive book tour, knowing in my heart that this was my first chance to show the world who I was. I didn't know how long the door would be open, but I knew I had been called to step through the doorway and explore life assignment that would take me beyond my work with teammates. I organized an aggressive 27-city tour, funding the vast majority of it myself. I lovingly called it the Chicken Soup Chitlins Circuit Tour, since to keep my travel budget manageable, the majority of the story contributors in the book hosted me in their homes and organized speaking engagement at their local churches. Needless to say, I signed lots and lots of books. I also spoke in front of thousands of I also spoke in front of thousands more people than I had previously. My brand began to grow tremendously. All along, I was improving my skill set. In fact, I began to shift my focus from being a technician, speaker, writer, excuse me, an author, into a competent business person, learning how to grow my business as a CEO. I had to educate myself about things like scalability, brand extension, online databases, and personnel management. I no longer wanted to be just a speaker because that was going to be just one line of my business plan, just one revenue stream, just one form of impact. By 2005, I considered myself an infopreneur, responsible for delivering information, inspiration, education on multiple platforms. Once I approved business from that perspective, my job totally changed. Once I approached business from that perspective, my job totally changed. I had to find my new platform going from a single lane highway to a multi-lane highway. My platforms broadened to speaking, writing, keynotes, training, workshops, and with the birth of my first audio programs, Ladies Can We Talk, packaged courses. This is when I had to start seeing myself as the CEO of a training and development company. No longer was I just a keynote speaker or a coach for teens. I was running a business whose product was education. I had two independent contractors, Amandra McClendon and Tia Ross, who served as team facilitators and no employees. But I was tracking my business for where it could go instead of where it is now. Once I ceased to sell the speaker services of Lisa Nichols and just workshops to teenagers, we experienced a huge growth trajectory. As it turns out, <coughs> it was just an it was just in the nick of time. Within 18 months, a documentary filmmaker named Rhonda Byrne approached me to be a featured teacher in The Secret, a movie about the law of attraction. Rhonda had seen my work, thought my message was universal, and filmed several minutes of my insights for the original version of the film. When The Secret and its companion book were released to worldwide acclaim, my work and I were introduced to more than 20 million people worldwide. My brand skyrocketed. Of course, becoming famous doesn't necessarily translate into financial success or further growth in and of itself. But because I had built a business infrastructure to capitalize on this opportunity, the secret put my company on a whole new level. As the secret tsunami picked up steam, I quickly developed a back-end system to capture newfound followers on my website. Then, 
further communicate with them about my products and programs. Not only did I add hundreds of thousands of people to my community, but I could regularly survey them and then produce products and services they asked for. I went from working a 12-hour day to being willing to work a 20-hour day as I caught up with demand. Even when Rhonda Byrne asked me to play a larger role in the second version of The Secret, I still had no idea how big that phenomenon would really get. I still had no idea how big that phenomenon would really get. And to be honest, I wasn't completely prepared, but I went for it and found ways to leverage the major media appearances I soon found myself doing, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, Larry King Live, Extra, and others, and to grow for my company. The secret was my launching pad to the next big thing. You'll get indicators along the way that you're on the right path. How did I know I was on the right path? And how can you know that you are living on your life assignment? Some days I would end my work feeling like I had spent the living day I had spent the day living in bliss, doing exactly what I was born to do. In fact, I've said in more than a hundred speeches and webinars that if God chose to take me tonight, I had spent today doing exactly what I was born to do. This kind of bliss should be an indicator too. Another indicator that I was on the right path was that I was having astounding success at things that, I had no, that had nothing to do with my own talents. Oftentimes, I didn't have anywhere near the skill set to get through a particular experience. Yet, because I was on the right path, I would achieve success where admittedly I probably had no right to do so. I had the passion, the heart, and the intention, but not the skill set. I had 100% intention, but 0% concern about the mechanism. It was always an indicator that I was on the right path when the mechanism showed up. But I had to be in action first. The resources, the people, the money, the opportunities all showed up whenever I was in action. As long as the idea I was only percolating in my head, the resources as long as the idea was only percolating in my head, the resources would not appear. But the minute I moved into action, no matter how big the step or the baby step, the right people, financial resources, talents, tools, clients, customers, they just showed up. It wasn't magic. I was willing to put my neck out too and ask for things, ask for help, ask for partnership, ask for the deal. Stepping into your life assignment forces you to grow. Sometimes your life assignment will push you into new areas, make you a little uncomfortable and require you to rapidly gain new skills you didn't have before. Sometimes, like me, you'll make mistakes as you learn and mature. As the media firestorm around the secret grew, my company grew too. Sometimes things were easy, but at other times, I lurched my way through and called it progress. For example, I hired people badly, spending $222,000 on consultants, employees, and contractors who were raving fans, hugged really well, had intimidated credentials, or were just interested in my cause for personal reasons. I hired people who were skilled but who lacked personality. I didn't hire holistically. But each one, I soon learned that I had hired them for all the wrong reasons. By the time the craziness was over, I had spent nearly a quarter million dollars learning how not to hire people. At the same time, I was doing a lot of things right. From 2005 to 2011, I worked with a business coach and a life coach, constantly reinvesting in myself to build my skill set as a CEO. The secret to my success is that I grabbed my fans by the hand, then leaped off the ledge. Lisa Nichols. One more second, let me drink a glass of water. Thank you. Little by little, day by day, I built my business using bubble gum, band-aid, shoestring, and duct tape. Eventually, my business coach, Susie Carter, became my chief operating officer, and both of us recognized how much I wanted to grow the business to a whole new level. But we knew that to do that, We'd have to infuse the business with growth capital outside money and not use our opening, our operating capital to fund new activity. I had to grow again 
learning the distinction between the two kinds of money. Luckily, we had the people, sales infrastructure, and operational infrastructure in place. The accounting was solid, and we were already running a business like a much bigger company. Could go in public and attract investors be possible for a company like mine? Taking the company public, we felt, would not only bring us the growth capital we needed, but in my quieter moments, I also thought, what an inspiration it would be to my community and others who are living in the reality I was 20 years ago. If I could overcome the desperation of standing in a welfare line, transforming my life from public assistance to going public, anyone could do the same. The decision was made. We took steps in 2013 to kick off an, F, an S1 filing and launched Motivating the Masses, Inc. as a publicly traded company. Don't worry if other people judge you or your life assignment. What a process it all turned out to be. And I had to grow personally as a result. For one thing, I had to get over the fear of exposing my business, my financials, and my growth plans to outside scrutiny. Would people judge me, I worried. It's like people going through my lingerie drawer. It may be, it may be looking at our underwear, Susie quipped, but luckily everything's clean and everything's folded. Finally, instead of running a business on duct tape and a dream, we'd be able to secure a strong financial infusion that would help us replace our guerrilla-style solutions with real systems, super-qualified people, and structured business development activities. It was the culmination of a 17-year dream to have the kind of company that would attract the attention of consumers, partners, and investors. One of the most inspiring aspects of the tedious and tumultuous journey was the great energy that my students, audiences, and partners gave me jumping in with full-on belief as we went through a process that was three times longer than anyone expected. To prove that the company was attractive to prospective investors, we were advised, pre-filling, to go to the market and raise our first $250,000 on our own. We raised $1.8 million instead. And who were the people who put up $10,000, $100,000, in some cases as much as $250,000 to build this dream even bigger? They were mothers and fathers, young entrepreneurs, seasoned business people, my students and others from my community. To see them with tears of gratitude at just the idea of getting involved in the early stages of the company's growth kept me going. In fact, years from now, when a company has thousands of nameless investors trading our stock, those initial 97 investors who believed in me will still occupy a sacred place in my heart. Even though they saw my knees knocking and my teeth chattering, they still jumped in when motivating the masses was just an idea. It wasn't our P&L. It wasn't our forecast. It wasn't their faith in me and the possibility of what we're going to co-create that inspired them to come on board. I know that eventually when we're actively trading on Wall Street, when things get overwhelming and all I want to do is sit down, it's their faces I see that will keep me going. They are all special to me. There's a spiritual element to your life assignment. Excuse me while I drink some more water. There's a spiritual element to your life assignment. When your spirit calls you to seek and acknowledge God's plan for you, to dismiss it is unacceptable. God's divine plan for my life is something that I have had to become very aware of and very committed to. What does your soul call you to do? What is your soul saying? What is your soul saying is necessary? What brings you joy? What contribution do you know you should be making to this planet? Are you sharing your gifts or holding your gifts because you're nervous about how you might look? One thing most people don't realize is that just the gifts of listening, nurturing, humor, and compassion are desperately needed, even though they don't make sense or don't seem big enough. But the reality is that you're supposed to share your gifts, even if you don't understand its value. 
Our God-given talents aren't always the business skills or scientific knowledge or technical expertise we get compensated for. Sometimes our talent is plain old everyday people skills that have been lost in our fast-paced society. Listening, compassion, a sense of humor, and a positive outlook. What I like so much about my business today is that it's now a conduit for distributing awareness that there's a calling on everyone's life. Isn't this another great reason isn't this another great reason for my business to exist? I think so. The minute you accept your calling, insignificant though you may think it is, your life will become indescribable, unrecognizable, breathtaking in ways you never imagined. That's what happened to me. I'm a very human and very ordinary woman who chose to allow God and the divine to work through me so I can make an extraordinary impact for the world. Once I made that choice, once I surrendered, the impact happened. Don't live someone else's life assignment. As I cautioned before to dismiss God's divine plan for our life is as I cautioned before, to dismiss God's divine plan for our life is misguided. But isn't that what many people do and then justify it as a smart move? We go to the medical school because our parents want that. We give up our dream career in the arts because somehow it's not a real job. We take over the family business though we're not suited for it and feel uninspired by the daily routine. These are all examples of someone imposing their idea of a life assignment on you. And while I know I've said that our daily job, even one we dislike, can be the investor in our great calling, sometimes you just have to face the facts that you're in the wrong place. Nicole Roberts-Jones came to this conclusion, growing up like me in a tough neighborhood near Los Angeles. She decided early on that, early on that the only way to have a better life was to go to college. It wasn't easy, but she got herself in and she got herself out and landed a dream job in Hollywood after graduation. What she soon realized, however, is that living a charmed life working in Hollywood was a dream that everyone else said she should pursue. Go into the entertainment field, they said. So that's when Nicole did. She had the look, she had the style, she had the expertise, so she listened to everyone but herself. But she soon realized that going to all the hot Hollywood parties and rubbing elbows with celebrities, even dating a few, was really someone else's dream. As a matter of fact, she felt empty. What she really wanted was to make a difference in the world. Then one night, Nicole found herself speaking at a youth program at her church, confronted by 300 teenagers with the same glimmer in their eye that Nicole had just years before. They thrilled at the possibility for their future, but feared the unknown too. And as Nicole took up her work week in Hollywood the next day, she remembered those eyes. Nicole also realized that to escape the crime-ridden streets of her childhood, she had followed a path recommended by others. She simply hadn't known any other way at the time. She'd allowed other people to dictate her future like a remote control. And as a result, not only was she living someone else's version of success, but in taking her dream job, Nicole had lost herself. What was Nicole truly inspired to do? She wanted to educate herself and inspire and shepherd those who found themselves at crossroads. But there was no Hollywood glamour in that, and there was surely no paycheck in it either. That night after work, Nicole made a decision. Though she was recognized in Hollywood circles, she decided she was willing to become unrecognizable in order to step into a better future. Today, Nicole Roberts-Jones is one of my team of in-demand executive coaches for entrepreneurs who are at a crossroads in their careers and who need to identify the catalyst that will skyrocket their new business. Just like Nicole, your life's calling doesn't have to be Hollywood big or televised worldwide. It could be working with children at a local youth center or starting a fund to clean up nearby parks. Take the word grand out of your life assignment and insert the word fulfillment and contribution instead. Your life assignment would change throughout the seasons of your life. 
We look at the idea of life calling as if we have one chance to get it right. That there's just one life assignment for us on this earth. But the reality is that God has you in, on redial. You can be called at one point in your life for one thing, but called again later for something else. And he'll keep calling you with whatever the world needs, whenever you're needed. As your life evolves and you have, one more, and you have more experience, your life assignment will evolve with you. While it may become more expansive or it may, or it may contract, while it may become more laser-focused, and move you into a smaller niche, you may have to be open-minded to ask the right question. What am I supposed to be doing in this season? What's my contribution in this moment? The truth is, the contribution and service you're supposed to be living would change. 20 years ago, the contribution you were making was very different from the contribution you're making now. But a lot of the discord, discomfort, and disruption we experience happens when we try to force that dated 20-year-old assignment into our, new, our now reality. Why not be in your now instead? Comparison is the thief of joy said Theodore Roosevelt, author, naturalist, explorer, and 26th president of the United States of America. Of course, sometimes the transition from one season to another is fulfilled with drama, upheaval, and uncertainty. Kate McKay had built a multi-million dollar company without ever taking a business class. She had an indescribable desire to succeed and knew in her gut that her future as well as her children depended on it. But as her business grew, her marriage crumbled. She'd been, at, she'd been an at-home working mom following an old lifestyle model that no longer served her. Her life assignment was about to change. Torn between the accepted norms she'd been living and the uncertainty that was to come, Kate was frozen in fear, self-doubt, and feelings of unworthiness. Sitting in her car outside her accountant's office, reflecting on the shame of her impending divorce, and the guilt of putting her three kids through the ordeal, pride, shame, excitement, and terror, converged as Kate glanced at her paperwork and read the bottom line. Holy cow, she thought. The number was astounding. She wiped away her tears, took a deep breath and picked up the phone. Hello, Dad, Kate said. I have some really exciting news. Financial independence shifted her into a new life assignment that inspires Kate daily to help others experience the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. By following her intuition and accepting her calling courageously, Kate McKay found her way through. Excuse me, let me take a sip of water. Thank you. Your job is an investor and your breath taking future. Back in chapter one, I talked about reframing the way you view your employment. If you take a less than perfect job or an unexciting career, one way to regain the excitement is to start treating your job as an investor in your breathtaking future. When I was in my 20s, I did just that. I recognized that though my job wasn't the life assignment I would ultimately pursue, it could become the catalyst for stepping into an amazing life I wanted. Your career would be the same for you, but first, you need to have an inkling of what you want to do be, have, or create, and how much it will cost. You need a financial goal. Whether you're in a 40000 a year job or a six-figure career, decide what you can set aside toward that goal. Alternative, alternatively, decide what activity or life assignment your income will support now. You could even designate a specific amount or percentage each week that would fund a specific activity. Let's say that your calling is to work with landlords, residents, and local agencies to clean up public housing. You have an idea that if someone like you spearheaded the effort, you could help regain, you could help residents gain job skills, obtain employment, and bring pride and a paycheck back to their homes. Well, what is needed to make that happen and how much does that cost? Similarly, if you work for a large consulting firm but are inspired to help bring music education back to public schools, could you designate consulting fees from a new client you just signed to fund such a program with a local orchestra who would play at area schools? 
Whatever you decide to fund, you must be diligent and disciplined about setting money aside from your current job. What lifestyle is your investor helping to create? One thing I recommended is to make decisions about the lifestyle and living saying is your paycheck should be helping to create in your life. Jot down two or three lifestyle choices in each area. Then decide how much it would cost and how you would designate that money from your regular paycheck. If you're wondering whether to quit your job, be aware that it's negligent to run out and quit your job today. It's irresponsible in your relationship with your current investor to quit until you have another investor that can satisfy your livelihood and basic needs. You cannot be creative wondering if your bills are going to be paid or worrying that you have only limited savings to live on. Excuse me, I'll drink a little bit of water. When people excitedly approach me at public events and say, I'm so happy I quit my job, I reply, I wish you would have talked to me first. One more reason to remain enthusiastic about your current job. Lee Reeman had a good paying job, but it didn't excite her to go to work. As an attorney, she prepared legal documents for clients, but something was missing. Her heart just, just wasn't engaged. Then one day, Lee thought about what she really was meant to do. Wasn't she really already helping others with with passion, working with families to ensure that the wishes of older adults were communicated and respected. Today, Lee sees her job as a laboratory for developing her platform for teaching families. While she still creates legal documents, she now sees the bigger picture and the missing link that speaks to her heart. Not only has Lee promoted a retreat where families can hold mediated, crucial conversations in a safe environment, she's developed a seven-step approach to conducting family meetings that supports discussion of difficult topics. Lee also speaks frequently at events at her local community and during this outreach stresses the importance of communicating decisions made by older family members so that ultimately their wishes can be honored. What do you do every day at your workplace that you can reframe and become more enthusiastic about? Is your job already providing a mechanism for something you're called to do? Another program participant of mine, Marie Mabuni, discovered the answer for herself as an anesthesiologist, Marie had reached the point where she was starting to ask deeper questions such as, what is my purpose? What is my unique gift? What did I come here to share with the world? This was scary for her because being a doctor is a giving profession. Doctors do good in the world every day, yet Marie knew there was something more she could offer. After praying repeatedly and telling God, I'm ready, Marie got a terrifying answer. Her life assignment was spiritual work. This threw her into a tailspin. How could she do that when she'd been trained for something else? Who would even listen to her? Marie wasn't even a regular churchgoer. And even more pressing was the question of how she would support herself. She had a house she loved, but with a mortgage and financial obligations. She felt trapped, scared, filled with anxiety, and guilt-ridden too. She had asked God to repeatedly reveal her calling, and now all she was finding was roadblocks. She wasn't feeling good about the situation or herself. Crying herself to sleep night after night, from pure nervous exhaustion. Marie only knew that she had to fulfill her purpose now that it had been revealed to her. Soon after, Marie came across one of my recordings. Committed to meeting me, she attended one of my events and struck up a conversation. When she told me she wanted to quit her job to pursue her dream, I stopped her. Baby, your job is your investor, I said. Almost immediately, Marie felt such a huge release that she started screaming with tears streaming down her face. Today, whenever, whenever Marie has a patient who 
who is difficult or if she gets tired, she just thinks about her new mantra. My job is my investor and smiles with happiness and gratitude. She's on her way to her true calling. Okay, so we read for about 30 minutes. I like to read for about 30 minutes a day. I appreciate you for listening to me read this book, Abundance Now by Lisa Nichols. Um, you know, hopefully you took some from it because I'm feeling it. And we about, uh, I guess, a third of the way or look like halfway through chapter four right there. And next time, come back for the next half of chapter four. The third E. You feminine? What was that? What's the third E? Enchantment? Wanna be en- en- engagement. Engagement. You feel me? Be more engaged. Yeah, yeah. You feel me? We gotta be more engaged in our relationships and our work and our lives. You know, I need to be more engaged, you know, and be more grateful of moments, be more grateful for my life. You know? I probably was that girl that she was talking about. I quit a job because I wasn't that out as engaged in it. And ended up literally trying to find how to be creative, knowing I ain't got it and stuff like that. So I took the hard route, didn't use my job as in my investor, and try to use my dreams to invest my dreams. To you know, try to use my dreams to be the investor to my dreams. So I'm I'm glad I got a chance to reflect on my path and you know think about how to approach things differently from now. You feel me? Yeah. So if you don't know, you're about to know right now. You're about to learn education. You feel me? Then? I'm Cordell Evans, BluePoetry.com. Let's go! Keep this. That's why you coming on me. 
Don't get addicted, cause you might OD. Yo, I'm not a player, not a player.